Thanks, guys. So good to be with you. Oh, James and Isabel from the university. And Ella. <laughs> really good. Well, really good to be with you guys. Love uh, being here. I've been traveling in France and other places, uh, speaking in churches, but it's always good to be home. Here I am. So, uh, we are coming into a land on our series on the book of Jonah. So, those of you who have been here or have been through this series, uh, I'll just give you a little potted history for those who have not. Jonah was a prophet sent by God to a city which was under God's judgment because of the extent of the chronic evil. Child sacrifice, it was just a horrendous place and a horrendous people who had rebelled against God's ways. The problem was Jonah was also an enemy of this city. They hated him and, and he hated them. <laughs> and so Jonah didn't want to go, but for a slightly unusual reason, the the reason he didn't want to go and deliver a message of God's judgment was because he thought the chances are when I go and tell these people that God is going to judge them unless they repent, they might repent. And if they repent of their sins and turn to God, I know God and I know what he's like and he's going to forgive them. And if he forgives them, then he won't pour out judgment on them like I want him to. So the best way out of this is me not to go at all. You see the logic, don't you? He wanted, he wanted the Ninevites to get what they deserved. So he didn't want to be any part of any danger of them not getting what they deserved. And so he headed in the wrong direction. One thing or another, he ends up going to Nineveh, delivering his message. And worst case scenario, exactly what he predicted happens. <laughs> They turned to God, never realized, they'd never realized how sinful they were. They turned to God, they repent, big time repentance, and God says, okay, I'm going to relent from my judgment. Jonah is mad, <laughs> and that's where we pick up the story. And I need to tell you that the message in today's story is, was absolutely transformational for me and, and continues to be. I know I say that every week, but this time I really mean it. <laughs> This message changed my life. I would not be doing what I'm doing today were it not for the message that's found in this passage. And I tell you the other thing, you could not write a better story to speak into the culture of our day, which is a culture of entitlement and cancel culture. And the message that we hear in this passage today shows us the antidote for cancel culture that is so rife around us. So let's read it together. Jonah chapter 4. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. He was hoping that God would change his mind again and that there would be judgment. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading from, from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then God said to him, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? 
Here's the title of the message today, Grace, the Antidote to Cancel Culture. You weren't nearly as impressed as that as I was hoping that you were going to be, so really worked hard on it. No, I didn't actually. It just came to me in a flash, but that's the title, Grace, the Antidote to Cancel Culture. Nineveh, this is where we start. Nineveh is 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, and the, the truth that the Bible declares to us over and over again is that outside of Christ is spiritual darkness. This is not the world that we see with our eyes. The world that's around us is a world of stuff that we see, but stuff that we do not see. And the world that we do not see is like this. It's a world full of darkness and light. And the light is not going to be overcome by the darkness, amen? But there is a world of darkness out there. You ask anyone who works in the police force, anyone who works in, in a, as a paramedic or in the ambulance service, the, the frontline people, they will say, there's, I've spoken to some of them who are not Christians at all, but they, they believe in evil. There's no question about it. Because they see the darkness that manifests through into, even into the physical realm. They see it and they live in it. And we are told by the scriptures that this world is in spiritual darkness outside of Christ. People in Nineveh were living in spiritual darkness. This is what Ephesians 6 says. A final word, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's terrifying, apart from the fact that we know that he that's in, within us is greater than the he that's in the world. But the reality is that is the world that we are living in. It's so easy for us to look at stuff on the surface and not see the spiritual reality of the world around. And sometimes God lifts the lid and helps us to understand what we are actually facing. We went to Grenoble, a team, uh, a couple of weeks ago in France. This is our second church plant into France. For those of you who know France, it is an incredibly dark nation spiritually. But we've got a vision to see churches planted across the south of France. We've done one. It's absolutely pumping. It's amazing. And then there's another one now, gone into Grenoble. Uh, there's a team there that's been there a year. We went to visit it to help them with a conference to lay some foundations of the Father, Heart of God, the identity in Christ. Caroline wasn't able to come, um, but she felt God speak to her for the team and for the church. And she's just going to come and share her little story of what happened to her. Let's welcome up Caroline, shall we? It's amazing. So we get up very often. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, okay, so Simon had gone to Grenoble. I was meant to go, but couldn't go in the end. And so um, on his first day, I was just saying, God, is there anything you want to say to the church through me? And um, it came so quick and so easy. I kind of like didn't really, I, I thought mm, maybe that was just me. But um, anyway, I saw a picture of a dragon um, over, there was like a, a mountain and then a valley and then another mountain. And, um, and I saw a picture of a dragon over the, over the valley and, um, and it, it was like evil, like an evil dragon. And, um, and God said, it's going to take, it's going to take a movement of prayer to um, slay the dragon. And, um, and I saw then on the hillsides, either side of the valley, just thousands of young people on their knees, um, praying, praying, and the, the dragon being defeated. And, um, and it was so quick. I, Simon texted me and said, have you got anything prophetic? And I said, oh, I'm working on something about prayer. I'll let you know. Because I kind of thought I've made that up. It was like I felt a bit strange about sending a picture about a dragon. 
And, um, and so later in the day, I thought, oh, I'll just Google Grenoble and Dragon. I've never been to Grenoble. I've never seen a picture of it or anything. I didn't even know if there were mountains and, and valleys there. Um, so I Google it, and it comes up with this Im immediately, this story. And the river that runs into Grenoble is called the Drac, which means dragon. And it's, um, it is like in known for like the folklore is that at the bottom of the river, there is actually a dragon that lives at the bottom of the river. And with its voice, it lures in um, vulnerable young people so it can drown them. And many people have drowned in, in this river. And the last ones were in 1995, a teacher and six children went to look at the beavers or something and were drowned in this river. And, um, and so I saw this, this picture, I felt like, okay, maybe that was God. So I sent it and Simon shared it with Jonathan who leads the church and he was blown away by it and said when he was 16, he was running in these hills and he saw a picture of the dragon over, over the valley holding the, like the spires of a, um, a castle either side. And he said to God, oh, it's gonna take something pretty strong to kill that dragon. <laughs> Amazing, so good. The point is not to give us fear, but to call us to pray. <laughs> There's a spiritual war going on, and God doesn't... I think if he showed us all that was going on all the time, we would be freaked out. <laughs> but sometimes he lifts back the curtain so that we can see, so that we can pray strategically, be strong in the Lord, Ephesians says, and in the strength of his might. Even last night, I was at the gym picking up Ethan. Caroline um, uh, was at home. A lady knocks on the door, says, this is, is the house of a pastor. She says, yes. Ask Caroline her name's Caroline. She then grabs her hand and then starts speaking this unknown guttural language. We think putting, trying to put a curse on Caroline. Um, just like speaking curses over her. And then Caroline literally has to shut the door in her face. And I come home, we're like taking communion. No, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We're not having this. There is a spiritual darkness and a spiritual war going on. Here is the problem. The problem is this. The spiritual darkness is not just out there. The problem in this story is not actually with the people of Nineveh. It's with Jonah. Because the spiritual darkness has got into his heart in the spirit of judgment. Jonah wants Nineveh to be judged. And that is not the spirit of God. God does not want anyone to be judged. He will bring judgment, and the Bible is quite clear. One day we will all face judgment, but God is holding back that judgment so that what? So that we all find mercy. <laughs> he wants us to find mercy. He says, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. He does not want us to find judgment. He wants us to find mercy, but... He does not delight in that judgment. He is not bringing it. Well, hey, I can't wait to judge these people. No, it grieves the heart of God. And yet Jonah was delighting in judgment. What happens when we judge people and we become like Jonah is we sit outside of the city and we wait for something bad to happen to them. We kind of hope that it does. We kind of hope that it does. And that's exactly what cancel culture does, isn't it? It just calls down curses on anyone who makes a mistake, anyone who steps outside of what we think they should do and how we think they should live. It cancels them. And you see it, it's prolific online, but let's be honest, we all do it in our hearts. We all do it in our hearts. Cancel culture is epidemic. And, you know, it's everywhere. We sent a team out some years ago to give out chocolate bars to people who are not thanked in the town. And so the team thought, well, we're gonna, and they found a traffic warden and they thought, we're going to give one to her because let's face it, who thanks the traffic warden after she's given you a ticket? No one. 
But to be honest, if you've ever been to a country that doesn't have traffic warning, it is chaos. There's just cars everywhere. It's just like chaos. You need traffic. We need traffic warnings. No one, none of us like it, but we need them to bring order. And otherwise, left to our own devices, we'd all be parking everywhere. It would be incredibly unsafe. People would be hurt. They are providing safety for us. So they thought, we're going to give her a chocolate bar. They gave her a chocolate bar. She started to cry. And she said, just this morning, someone said they hoped that I die. Someone said that they hoped I get cancer and someone else tried to run me over. That's just this morning, that's my job. No one's ever thanked me before. So next time you get a ticket, steal yourself and thank the traffic warden <laughs> for making our town safer. Even if you think it was unjust and you think it's wrong, they make mistakes as well. Steal. It's not worth that 70, 60 or 70 quid. Thank them for what they do to make our towns and dig deep into the spirit of Jesus. <laughs> Dig deep into that spirit. Because cancel culture creates a fear-based culture where no one wants to stick their head above the parapet and say anything. Everyone's got to keep their head down. Now, the reality is this. We, we do need the ability to challenge one another in society. We do need the ability to speak into each other's lives. The problem with cancel culture is it does it from the wrong heart. It does it from the wrong place. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's the truth. We all deserve to be cancelled. Turn to your neighbor and say, you deserve to be cancelled. <laughs> you don't like it, do you? But that's the truth. We all deserve to be cancelled. We all deserve to be cancelled. And Jesus is saying this, listen guys, if you want to carry on cancelling each other, there is one who has the right to cancel everybody. And if you want to cancel each other, then the danger is that he is going to come and cancel you with the same measure that you cancel other people. You want justice? He can bring justice. You want justice? He can bring justice. Are you sure you want justice? <laughs> That's the point. Are you really sure you want justice? Because under the spotlight of God's justice, no one can stand. You want to be cancelling people? Just watch out that you don't get cancelled yourself. And you see that in cancel culture, don't you? People who are cancelling people today, in a week's time, they're cancelled themselves. And we delight because then they're cancelled. <laughs> That's the reality of what's going on around us. In cancel culture, there's no forgiveness, there's no repentance, there's no reconciliation. It's just, nope, you've made a mistake, dum, you're done. And even you see people give the most groveling apologies and they still don't get forgiven. It's just, you're kind of, well, okay then, you're left over there. And, and it's in our, all of our hearts. We can blame the internet and the internet trolls, but it is in all of our hearts. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't discern right from wrong. Don't get me wrong. Discernment is a biblical principle. We are called to discern right from wrong. If people do wrong, we're called to say, that's wrong, that's not right, that's not healthy. We are called to discern right from wrong. But judgment puts us in a superior place. One little step above them. Can you believe what she said? I would never do something like that. I cannot believe that car that they bought or what they spent their money on or how they painted their house. Can you, do you, what he said to me, what was, can you, is anyone relating to any of these? 
What does it do? It's not discernment. It puts me slightly superior. I would never do something like that. When the truth is, you probably have, and it's probably worse. And it's epidemic when we relate to our parents. This is where the scripture right in the heart of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. Why? Because they're going to do things perfectly? No. Because from it comes life. From it comes life. From cancel culture we see it around us comes death, but from honor comes life. And it's painful because our parents make mistakes. Any of you who are parents, you know that you're going to make mistakes. But what we're saying when we judge our parents is, look, it's like we're playing cards and we're saying, if I was dealt their hand of cards, I'd have done a better job. I'd have done a better job. But the reality and the truth is, if you've been dealt exactly their hand of cards, with their upbringing, with their mental capacity, with their skills, with their gift mix, with all of that they had, if you'd have been dealt their hand of cards, who's to say you'd have done a better job? Only the pride person could say, I'd have done a better job. The humble person says, to be honest, I probably would have done a worse job. But by the grace of God, if I've done anything right in my life, it's not because of me, it's because of God's grace on my life. So when we judge our parents, we cut ourselves off from the life of God where he wants to, us to release honor to them. And it's so hard to do, but God is calling us to this, to this life. We even judge God. I used to say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a list of questions for God. And God said to me one time, when you get to heaven, I'm the one who asks the questions. <laughs> I think we'll all just be on our faces grateful that we made it. <laughs> you put down the questions, like, thank the Lord I made it. By the grace of God, I made it. Your questions are going to, all the things you want to hold God to, why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? It's all going to go out the window when you're face to face with a living God. You're like, goodness me, I made it. It was nothing to do with me. It was all because of Jesus. What's the way out? How do we repent of cancel culture? How do we move on? How do we get it out of our spirits? Uh, it's, it's just a story from years ago. We had a, a conference, and um, it was one of the first conferences where God really moved powerfully. People were crying, people were laughing, people were getting freedom on the floor, people were getting set free from demonic strongholds. I mean, it's just so loud and powerful. And this guy came up to me after the second session, and he said, I'm really not happy. I said, why? I mean, it looks like God's really helping and setting people free. No, no, no. He said, these are all just attention seekers. They just want attention. I was like, how do you know? He's like, I just know. This is all about attention seeking. I'm really not happy about it. I was like, okay, what do you think I should do? He's like, I don't know, but I'm just going to be watching. <laughs> well, at the end of the next session, he was at the front sobbing his heart out. And it wasn't just crying. He was ugly crying. I was praying for him. I had snot down the front. I had snot down the back. It was like a throw that t-shirt away job. You know, it was like <laughs> he was ugly crying as God set him free. He was so loud. It was so loud. It was one of those, like, you had to, the person hosting the meeting said, well, God's just touching someone over there. It was that loud, you know. You had to explain what was going on. The next day, we have a feedback session. People just sharing, hey, what's going on? What is God doing in your life? Just to give some context so that people know what the Lord is doing. He stands up. He says, hey, look, guys, I need to repent because I judged you all yesterday for making so much noise. 
He said, but that was me making noise last night. We're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> and he said, I just want to repent. I've got no right to judge you. Who am I to judge what's going on in your life? Who am I to judge you? And then he said, if anyone else wants to repent of their judgment, please stand to your feet. I thought this would be interesting. third of the room stood to their feet. Broke something off us as a church as we realized, who have we got the right to judge anyone? We all stand before God and God alone. Does that mean we don't discern? Does that mean we don't challenge one another? Not at all. We'll come on to how we do that in a healthy way in a moment. And when we judge, when we let this go on in our hearts, what it does, it tends to repeat. Judge not or you'll be judged with the same measure. My, uh, I, my father was crippled by fear. Crippled by fear. And I judged him horribly for it as a teenager. Guess what my issue was as I grew up? Crippled by fear. I mean, I've seen it again and again and again. You're praying with someone, battling. I'm really battling with control. Okay, tell me about your parents growing up. Yeah, my mother, she was really controlling. It just repeats itself through the generations. Why? Because we empower it, not just become what we've learned by, by the power of the judgments that we make against people. It stops God setting us free because he's like, oh, you want to judge them? Let's talk about control. Let's talk about fear. It stops us and holds us in bondage. How do we get out? Okay, here's a few things. What? And, but I've got to warn you, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But, you know, God's going to help us. Firstly this, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. This whole situation was set up on Jonah. The plant, the worm, God set the whole thing up. Why? Because he wanted to reveal his heart. Have you ever realized that God sometimes sends you the message you need to hear, but in the packaging that you don't want to hear it in? <laughs> and it's normally through someone you're like... Lord, why did you have to tell me the truth in that package? Anyone ever had that experience? And it's everything in you because you know what they're saying is true, but just like, I do not want to hear it from them. Why? Because God offends the mind to reveal the heart. He wants us to know, do you really want the truth? Do you really want freedom? Or do you only want it on your terms? in your packaging. Who is God in this scenario? Is it you or is it me? That's what he wants us to think about. There's a way out, but it's the way of humility. And pride says, God, I'm happy to change, but on my terms. And God says, it's kind of not how it works. It kind of works on my terms or on no terms. <laughs> That's how this deal goes. You know, the Pharisees, the people who are crying out for God to move, the most religious people of their day, the people who wanted God to rescue the people of Israel, rescue their people, it says this, the Pharisees and the experts in religious law rejected God's plan for themselves for they had refused to be baptized by John. They cried out, they prayed for God to come and he came and then they're like, yeah, no, thanks very much because he's hairy and he wears camel skin, and he eats weird stuff and lives in the desert. Yeah, we'll give that one a miss. Read that line. They rejected God's plan for themselves. God had a plan. You read the New Testament, you think, gosh, the Pharisees, did God have a plan for them? They're just kind of the, the guys are the bad guys. You know, every, like, every movie needs some bad guys. They're just the bad guys. No, no, the scriptures, there's no bad guys in God's eyes. God has got a plan for everyone. The only question, there's no good guys and bad guys. We're all the bad guys. We're all the bad guys. 
You know, in the movies, you watch yourself and you put yourself in the good guy. No, 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 we're all the bad guys. God, but God has got a plan for all the bad guys. The only difference between any of us is do we accept God's plan or do we reject God's plan? God will bring us the message we need, sometimes in a package that we don't want because he wants to offend the mind to reveal the hearts. In that same conference, we had a really interesting thing because the guy who was leading it, it was kind of a bit out there, and he called for a conga during worship. You know a conga where you kind of dance like this? Round the room, conga in worship. And anyone who wants to, conga round the room. So there's like, I mean, I'm not the biggest conga guy, I've got to be honest, and especially not during worship. So the conga goes on. I tell you, after the conference, I had more complaints about that conga than any other worship time ever. People were so upset about it. You could tell in the room because there were some people in the middle who were like, arms crossed, and they were not happy. There was not worshipful thoughts going through their minds. They were angry about this conga. This is not cool. This is not the way we worship. And I had to talk with emails, conversations. I had to talk with so many people and say, look, I'm not the biggest conga guy in the world. But honestly, it was one conga one time. And you didn't have to do it. It was just an optional thing. He said, if you want to, do it. If it makes you angry, I'm not sure the problem is the conga. I'm not sure the problem is the conga. You're focused on the conga, angry about the conga. Are you sure the problem is the conga? And lots of people got into freedom as we talked through. I'm not sure the problem is the conga. It's that worship has to be done in the style that I want it to be done. The way that I want it to be done. And if anyone worships in a different way, that's a little bit out of the box, that's not okay with me. Well, maybe it's okay with God. Maybe he wants the occasional conga. I mean, what's it going to hurt? God wants us to get rid of the heart of this spirit of entitlement and control. Jonah 4 verse 10. Fortune's got an idea now. He's like, come on. (laughs) I can see it brewing. I can feel it brewing over there. He's like, yeah, there's some people who need freedom from that. Come on. All right, I'll leave you to that, Fortune. You You can stew on that. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant. And here's the breakthrough line. Though you did nothing to put it there. We live in this world of entitlement. This is the root of the problem. The entitlement that we're taught, every Disney movie has this as the theme. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to be. You can create the world as you want it to be. The spirit of entitlement. We're all riddled with it in our culture. And this spirit of entitlement says, this is, this is the way things need to be, the way that you want it to be. And it puts us right at the center in a place that we're just not fitted for. There's only one who can sit at the center, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible says about entitlement. Job 41, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me, says the Lord. Romans 11, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Here's the truth that set me free. Riddled with entitlement. Riddled with, why God, why have you let this happen to me? Riddled with, why why have I not got this when that person's got it? Riddled with entitlement. This is the truth that set me free. God owes me nothing. He owes me nothing. You're like, that's the most depressing message ever. No, it's not. It's absolutely liberating. You've got to go down before you can come up. You've got to get onto the rock solid ground of God owes me nothing. He owes me nothing. Why? Because you cannot enter into the truth until you've rejected the lie. The lie is that God owes me all this and he owes me a good life and he owes me this, that and the other. And the truth is this, he owes you nothing. Who can demand payment from God? You know, I was able to drop dead right now. Who of you could go to God and say, well, Simon was owed 53 years, not 52? (laughs) Nobody. God would be like, well, where's the contract? Where did I sign a contract that said he was owed 53 years? Every day that I'm alive and breathing is a gift of God's grace. It's a gift of God's grace. And it's so liberating. 
I don't, uh, God doesn't owe me anything. Many people don't live to 52. So I, I, the grace of God that I've lived to 52 and then 53 and on. But every day is a gift from him. He owes me nothing. It's so, so liberating. When we come to God shaking our fists, full of self-pity, full of demands, there's a massive, massive problem. Because the Father wants to, shape, to change our heart of entitlement for a heart full of grace. You feel sorry about the plant, but you did nothing to put it there. James 1 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. Matthew 7, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give, give good gifts to those who ask him? Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Here's the truth. You cannot get anything from God with a heart of entitlement. You can get everything from God with a heart full of his grace. He wants to give it to you all. But just like parents with teenage kids who are like, you owe me. You're like, I kind of wanted to give it to you, but kind of now I don't. I was like a teenager. And my parents were like, eh, I kind of I do want to give it to you. But now I kind of don't want to give it. Anyone been in that place, either receiving or giving? That spirit of entitlement is so unattractive to anyone who wants to give. Even people who wanted to give you stuff don't want to give it to you anymore. It's so unattractive. We've got to shed that spirit and come under the spirit of grace where everything that people give us, from our parents to God himself, is a gift of grace. No one owes us anything. Any, everything comes to us as a gift of grace. Grace. And knowing this, I tell you, is so liberating. It frees you into gratitude. Here's a list on the screen we'll go through quickly. It helps you focus not what God hasn't yet done, but focus on what he has done. It gives you patience because it teaches you to wait patiently for God's good and perfect timing. He's a good father and you trust his timing. It gives you love. It helps you know that you are loved even if not every prayer is answered exactly as you want it to be. It helps you through grief because when you lose something, you can be grateful that you even had it in the first place. It's not that grief isn't hard, but when a spirit of entitlement, grief is terrible, but with a spirit of gratitude and grace, grief is bearable because you're like, God, thank you. You know, last year when I nearly lost my eyesight in one year, there was this night when I was praying and it was just, I was just so under this. I was not going under the why God because I've done that and I know that leads nowhere. But I was like, God, this is so hard. This is so painful. One of the breakthrough moments was that someone prayed for me. That was a breakthrough. But the other breakthrough moment was internally. I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to thank God for 50 years of eyesight. There's plenty of people who don't have 50 years of eyesight. I have 50 years of eyesight. Plenty of people don't have any years of eyesight. I'm going to thank God. I'm going to, and it was just a shift in my thinking. I came after someone prayed for a breakthrough. I'm going to thank God that I've had 50 years of eyesight. What a gift. It just changes the way that you, you process grief and can go through it. In, in plan, it steps you out of your limited plan and steps you into God's supernatural plan. I've seen time and time again as people have laid down judgment and entitlement, God starts supernaturally working in their families things that wouldn't break open before, that they tried and battled to get their rights, suddenly they were given for free. Something broke open because God supernaturally wants to work on our behalf, but he can't if we're partnering with the darkness around us. It brings us into worship, helps us worship the true Father God, not an imaginary vending machine God. 
It's hard to turn up every Sunday morning and worship a venging machine that's not giving you what you want. But when you come to the true Father, you can worship even if you had breath that, that morning. You can worship even if you had enough money to pay for food today. You're living from a place of gratitude and you can worship the true God. And you know what? It's so attractive to him. It helps you to show kindness and grace to others rather than cancelling them when they do something you don't like. It steps you into the truth. Instead, this is what the scriptures say, speaking the truth in love. I am just horrified by what some Christians write on in the internet against other people. And to be honest, sometimes I agree with what they're saying. It's true what they're saying, but the way that they write it, this is what 1 Peter says. This It says, uh, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy be prepared to make a defense. He's not saying don't make a defense. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The opposite of cancel culture is not coming against it with an opposite cancel culture. It's coming against it with a spirit of gentleness of respect. Yes, we're called to challenge one another in the church and sometimes outside the church. But do it with gentleness and respect, which is another word for honor. So this story of Jonah brings us to this conclusion that we're called to step out of cancel culture, that we're called to step out of the spirit of entitlement, that we're called to stop partnering with darkness and instead say, Lord, fill me with your grace. Let me build my life on a foundation of the grace of God. God, you owe me nothing. Even if I drop dead right now, no one could hold you to account. But every breath Every day is a gift of your grace. What a foundation to build on. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you just turn to your neighbor and say, that didn't really apply much to me, but I hope you got something out of it. <laughs> I'm pretty good on this whole judgment thing. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm through. <laughs> Let's stand together, shall we? Let's just pray. Maybe Fortune, you just want to come up and play for us. We've got no time for a conga now, so don't get tempted. <laughs> Do not get tempted. Hold back, brother, for another time. <laughs> Let's just pray, shall we, together?